Please open your Bibles, if you will, to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 16. We've uh, read these uh, verses several times, and this is the last time I'm going uh, to read them from the pulpit to you. If you would, would you stand? Gracious Lord, we ask that you add your blessing uh, to your red word and free us from all the distractions, uh, Lord, and allow us to attend to it today with sincerity and humility and faith. For us, this in Christ's name. Amen. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. You may take your seats. Well, this is a sermon about sermons, and I know that may seem rather self-serving, so let me uh, ask you for grace to hear me out for just a couple minutes, and um, I want to start by saying that uh, preachers should uh, preach well, they should prepare, they should seek to hone uh, their skills and to preach meaningful, uh, engaging, and applicable uh, messages. Actually, I've never met a pastor who wants to preach mediocre sermons, but sadly, You know, that's a way, we have some ways to go, many of us. I still have a ways to go. Over the years, I've heard many, maybe most of the kinds of criticisms that could be made about preaching in general and my preaching in particular. This is a sample. Uh, It's boring, it doesn't hold my attention. It's irrelevant, has nothing to do with my Monday to Friday life. It's outmoded. Other means of communication uh, are better. They've replaced it. It's a waste of my time. I don't get anything out of it. And it's just a poor use of time. It's a very inefficient uh, way uh, to learn something. But by far the strongest criticism that's not always said directly to me, is uh, conveyed in an attitude, but if it was put into words, it would sound something like this. Who are you to tell me what to think, believe, or do? And behind this is a thought that's widely shared, and it's this. It's outrageous for someone, for anyone, to stand up and to claim to speak for God. Now, I'm sympathetic uh, with these criticisms. In elementary school, I wasn't doing so well. In fact, by the fifth uh, grade, I was uh, failing. 
I was bored. Most of school was terribly boring for me, and math, arithmetic in particular, you know, those endless dreaded worksheets, you know, with addition problems and subtraction problems and multiplication problems and division. And I hurried through them, actually. I would work one or two of them, and after that, I would just guess. And I would fill it all out that way. But something happened in March uh, that changed things. We moved from Richmond to Baltimore, and I saw it as sort of an opportunity to start over. And I did actually turn a, a quarter in school. But as I look back, it wasn't just that I was bored with school. I had a struggle with authority. It was very deep-seated, and I really didn't want anybody to tell me what to do. And this attitude led to some very poor uh, choices uh, through the years. Um, I resisted learning how to play an instrument when it was introduced in the third grade. I turned uh, down an appointment to the governor's school of leadership because I wasn't going to have anybody in high school tell me how to wear my hair, and I refused to participate in the rituals of the National uh, Honor Society. I know it's surprising that I finally made it in high school given my, uh, well, inauspicious beginning (laughs) in elementary school. But my attitude really only changed, began to change after Jesus revealed himself uh, to me. His love transformed me. He gave me new life a new family uh, to belong uh, to, and a joy I had never known. I found his life and words utterly compelling, and my uh, gratitude was expansive. And I began to understand that he was Lord. We don't use that word a lot. He was my life leader. Uh, He was my boss, and he was calling me to live in a specific way. He was actually calling me to submit. Now, if that word Lord uh, just doesn't mean much to you then, then uh, just for a moment, uh, go to Star Wars. Don't stay there for very long, but, but think about Star Wars and those, those scenes where Darth Vader is kneeling before the emperor, displaying his humility, his loyalty, and his readiness to do his bidding. As imperfect as that image is, it gets at the core of what it means for Jesus to be Lord in my life. Now, submission is very unnatural uh, to me, but his goodness and love were so inviting that my resistance melted. He didn't force me, rather he drew me. And I had in principle understood that the very first night I came to him that I'd surrendered my life to Jesus, but full submission uh, covers a lot of ground. And it took a long time for me to appreciate just how extensive uh, that uh, submission uh, was, how uh, many implications it had for my life. It included my hopes and my dreams, my desires, my time, my money. I could could go on. It just touched everything uh, in uh, life. And at times, I still don't find... uh, submission easy. They're just times when certain things that I am told to do just great against me. And I suspect I'm not alone. Maybe everybody has an 
issue with authority. Speed limits, copyrights, elected officials, taxes, your teachers at school, maybe your parents. Open hostility to authority of any and every type is very fashionable. It actually has been uh, in Western society for a long time now. There is a deep distrust of every institution, and this especially is true of the church. And on top of this, uh, there is a view that there really is no such thing as absolute uh, truth or morality. And to claim it is simply to be either manipulative or oppressive. And so we live in a time where most people function as this way. If I'm to accept something as true, it needs to be intuitively and subjectively true for me. In other words, I'll be my own authority. I'll decide what I should do and how I shall live. I was at breakfast uh, this past week with the elders, and one of them uh, uh, captured this perfectly uh, over breakfast. He said, um, uh, do you know how the Koreans explain the difference between the way Americans and Koreans read the Bible? Well, he said, as Americans read the Bible, they say, no, Lord, no, Lord, no, Lord. And Koreans say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. That captures it pretty well. These attitudes, these ways of thinking have made deep inroads into the church, into the lives of God's people. And so it is that preaching has fallen on hard times, not just out there, but in here, uh, in the churches. Now, I've spent three weeks, and I can't go over and pull all this together for you, trying to show you that God desires to communicate with you, why it is reasonable to accept the Bible as God's revelation of himself to you, and why uh, God is committed to the reading and preaching of his word in every local church by a pastor who knows and loves you. And you will not benefit from preaching if you're resistant to the word of God. It will simply be of no value to you. Just consider, friends, some of the statements uh, Jesus uh, made. Most of you who are here would claim to be Christ followers. And he says this to those who would follow him. His mother and brother uh, come to him. They think he's lost his mind. Uh, They ask to see him. And when word reaches him that they're outside waiting, he says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. You see, the desire for and receptivity to the Word of God accompanied by an effort to obey it characterizes everyone who's a part of the family of God. If you claim to be a part of the family but ignore the Word, resist its teaching, or view obedience as optional, you lack integrity. It raises the question as to whether you're actually a member of the family. You see, to claim to follow Jesus and to reject his authority is problematic. And 
I know many people think, well, you know, I love Jesus, and that's enough. Uh, But listen to what he had to say on the night in which he was uh, betrayed. As Judas uh, uh, shared the meal with him, uh, the Passover meal. Three times Jesus says in chapter 14, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. If you want to know whether you're loving Jesus, you have to just check. How are you doing in obeying him? There are many people who are fans of Jesus, but they don't love him. They might appreciate many things about him. But if you don't obey him, Jesus says, you're not loving him. If you don't have a hunger and appetite to hear and obey his word. Jesus uh, finishes up the Sermon on the Mount with a couple of very strong things, and they're terrible words to hear. He says, not every one of you who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty uh, works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus is saying in the starkest of terms, it's not enough uh, to be involved uh, in ministry, uh, to be involved in the life of a church obedience to the Father's revealed will in Scriptures, essential. It's not enough to say, Lord, you're my Lord. It must be manifest in concrete obedience. I think you get where I'm going. To benefit from preaching, you have to accept the authority of it. To benefit from preaching, you have to accept the authority of it. Now, I'm not saying, look, I'm here on God's behalf, and it doesn't matter whether you like it or not. It doesn't matter whether you like me or not. Uh, The only thing that matters is what God has said. So deal with it. That is not what I'm trying to say to you. Uh, But what I am saying is that the authority of preaching resides in the message. It resides in the Word of God. The authority of preaching of the sermon is derived. It's not innate. It's not in the preacher. It's in the message. As much, in as much as it's faithful to Scripture, it has authority. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's God's Word. It, by definition, carries the authority of its person. So it's essential to cultivate an attitude of meekness and humility before you come uh, to worship, Uh, to be in this frame of mind while listening, because it's God who's speaking. So how do we do that? Well, prayer is one of the places where it begins. We ask the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and to give us a submissive attitude, a readiness uh, to listen. We all have blind spots, including 
the person who stands in this uh, place and will only continue to grow as they get exposed. It's the pastor's responsibility as he prepares the sermon to let the light of God's Word expose the darkness in his own life. And as he studies the Scriptures uh, in conversation with the church's great uh, teachers and seeks its application, the application needs to begin uh, with himself. He doesn't stand over uh, God's Word. He's not exempt uh, from this. To receive and benefit the most from God's authoritative Word We should be ready. We should come with the expectation that we're going to be encouraged as well as challenged. We're going to be affirmed and we're going to be uh, corrected. We should expect that some sin or error might be exposed. Every Sunday you should uh, expect that. And I must tell you, as someone who's been doing this uh, for 40 years now, it's not always comfortable I come up here and I know that I'm going to say something that's going to offend somebody, that people are going to resist, that's going to make people mad, even if they don't stand up and shout or they don't walk out. Uh, I sense uh, the resistance uh, when I uh, preach. Listening to a sermon and benefiting from it means responding the way a student should when they're handed back a test and it has a C on it, and you thought you'd earned an A. You want to understand, what did you get wrong? So the next time uh, you see that, you find out what uh, the answer should have been. Or it's like sitting down with your boss and having a review of uh, your work. Uh, Bucking up against what you hear there, being defensive, saying, no, you've misunderstood me. No, no, that can't possibly be true as you get feedback is not going to benefit you, but taking it to heart will be rewarded in due time. So as we come to worship, we should expect to encounter Jesus. Now, every time we open Scripture, uh, we should expect uh, to encounter Jesus, but Jesus is present in a special way when his people gather uh, for worship. If we're going to benefit from the sermon, we also need to embrace the seriousness of uh, the sermon itself, of the act of listening to the sermon, the seriousness of preaching. Of course, Paul's speaking to Timothy here, but we want to see both sides of what he has to say this morning. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and kingdom, Preach the word. We could paraphrase it this way. Timothy, preaching is serious business. Judgment is coming, so get on with it. Preach the word. Dear church, judgment is coming, so listen up. The way Paul says this is really very formal. There are legal overtones in the choice of words that he speaks here. He invokes uh, witnesses, divine witnesses, the presence of God and Jesus Christ. The command of preaching is to uh, be heard with the weight of these witnesses uh, looking on. Uh, And then he adds that Jesus is the judge of all people, all who have ever lived. 
and all who are now living. And that includes me, and it includes you. Now, Paul doesn't unpack all of this here, but the scriptures uh, tell us that at the last judgment, those who have put their trust in uh, Christ will be affirmed. They'll be rewarded uh, uh, for their service. But they'll also have uh, their service tested as if it were by fire. And those things that prove uh, to be unworthy of Christ, not in keeping uh, with Christ's commands, will be burned up. And you will experience a sense of loss. You will not be rewarded as richly as you might have been. You'll still be saved, but you won't enjoy all that God intended for you. But it will also involve Jesus Christ declaring that those who are unbelieving, who are rebellious, uh, who are idolaters, who are immoral, that they will be banished forever from the presence of God. And so it is, I hope you can see this, that there's a lot at stake in preaching and listening to a sermon. If Timothy is slipshod in uh, his responsibility, people will suffer. Eternal destinies hang in the balance. Now, my first pastorate was in uh, South Carolina, and close by was the Jungle Aviation and Radio Service. And Ernie Rich uh, was one of the very first uh, mechanics that worked uh, for them. And uh, once I came by to visit with him in the hangar, and uh, as I was just talking with him, uh, I noticed his tools, and I was struck by how orderly they were. Now, I've been in a lot of mechanics shops. I've even been a backyard mechanic of sorts. But his tools were all laid out on felt, and everything was laid in place by order, and there was sufficient space between everything that he could look at his tools and know whether something was missing or not. I've never seen an auto mechanic keep his tools uh, like that. And so my curiosity was piqued. I said, Ernie, why are your tools so neat? And he said this. He said, before I can sign off on a job, I have to account for every tool in my toolbox. And I, and I you know, looked puzzled, and he said, you see, any tool that I leave in an airplane is potentially going to cause a failure. Now, if the mechanic leaves a tool on your car and your engine fails, you can just pull over to the side of a road. When it happens in an airplane, not so much. And so preachers have an obligation to give their very best effort to preparing and writing and delivering the sermon. And they must do this in utter dependence on Jesus Christ. This does not mean in any way that the pastor, the preacher, should not receive feedback, even constructive uh, criticism. Um, and the preacher, the pastor, needs to recognize that some of the criticism will be because, well, he's stepped on people's toes. He's pressed some truth hard into the particular place that the people in his congregation 
uh, need to hear it. In fact, it's not uncommon for me to hear uh, people say, you know, you were speaking directly to me. Well, that was really the Holy Spirit. I try hard not to uh, uh, name names and take prisoners uh, when I uh, preach. Um, However, uh, having said that, uh, it's important when you have your new pastor that he get feedback from you. And and hopefully, uh, much of that feedback will be encouraging. Because very often, nobody says anything after a sermon is preached. And much of what does get said is of a negative uh, character. So if you're encouraged, if you're built up, this is not me looking for applause, but if you're encouraged by your next pastor, then let him know. Let him know that his efforts and the Spirit are at work in his ministry. The basis for this charge, preach the word, is in Christ's appearing and kingdom. That kingdom is going to come in all its fullness, and there will be no more doubts about his authority, about uh, his power. Because Jesus is coming, the act of preaching and our receptive listening to the sermon is important. That word translated appearing was used to describe the arrival of the emperor of Rome uh, to a city. And you can be sure that uh, significant preparations were undertaken before the emperor of Rome uh, came and paid a visit. Just as uh, today, uh, no host nation uh, would go without making preparations for a foreign dignitary. All of us in Christ's family are to prepare for his uh, coming. Now, when I was a student at Maryland, I took, well, the introductory chemistry course. And uh, it was an 8 a.m. course. Oh, what a terrible decision (laughs) to be at 8 a.m. in a chemistry class. And toward, uh, well, about halfway through the semester, uh, the the professor handed out a 60-page, 10-point type uh, uh, document and said, this will appear on the exam. I'm not going to talk about it. You're just responsible for it. And uh, I thought, well, this is very unfair. It can't really be very important if he's not going to talk about it in class. And when the final came, the predictable took place. He meant every word that he had said, and my D reflected it. I had a wonderful opportunity to repeat inorganic uh, chemistry as a result. You see, when the Lord Jesus returns, there'll be no more time to prepare. And so how we listen to a sermon and what we do with it afterwards matters you'll benefit more fully from preaching if you come rested to church. Saturday night live, Sunday morning dead. (laughs) You'll benefit by eliminating the distractions, the chief of which is the cell phone and its notifications. Now, I realize it can be challenging to find how to turn them all off. In fact, there's still one I haven't figured out how to do in my phone short of just turning the phone off completely. But 
if you work and you hear anybody tell you about how to concentrate at work, they tell you, turn off all those notifications. Don't pay attention to them. They're just constantly bombarding you and distracting you. And as you listen, especially to your next pastor, but to any pastor, listen sympathetically. Don't zero in on their flaws of delivery. Don't keep a running tally of how many times they use a specific word or their mannerism. Listen instead, expecting God to speak to you. That he'll say something to you, even if his style is not the style you prefer. Try this. This is a thought experiment. You might even try it someday when you come into church. Imagine what God could do in your life if you trusted and obeyed him. That might help you move past all the excuses about why you can't do what God is asking in the text of Scripture that the pastor is speaking about. And review the sermon later in the day. Not to serve roast pastor for lunch, but rather to encourage those you happen to live with by by showing that you're actually interacting with a sermon. You're seeking uh, to actually put it into practice in your own life. There will always be, and there always has been, resistance to the preaching of the word. Preaching is foolishness. It's it's folly. Uh, Because at the heart, it's the message of a king who was so weak that instead of bringing about the kingdom everybody was hoping for, he died on a cross. That message that there is a king who you can't see but now rules, a king who will return and will establish the fullness of his rule, seems like utter folly. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For sense in, its, for sense in the wisdom of God The world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand a sign and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Preaching is God's chosen way of revealing Christ. It's his chosen way of giving you grace. Hearing it is one of his chosen ways for you to receive grace, to be encouraged and helped in the journey of faith to be warned of its dangers and drawn by its delights. 
and to fill you with hope that the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, who's sufficient for these things? I'm not. But Lord, your word is true. Give us in an age that resists authority the grace to receive it and hear it and to act on it and thus to bear fruit 30, 60, even 100-fold to your glory, Lord Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Spirit. Amen.